Woe be unto him who opens one of the seven gateways to hell, because through that gateway evil will invade the world.
Okay, I am here to talk about a very special movie from 1981 with two very special guests. I'm here to talk about House by the Cemetery by Lucio Fulci with Art Editor, editor of Ultraviolet Magazine. How are you doing, Art? I'm doing quite well tonight. And I'm also here with Troy Howard, writer of many books, including Splintered Visions, uh, a book about Lucio Fulci. How's it going, Troy? Good. Thanks for having me back. Oh, thanks for coming on, guys. This is a, it's a good one here. I think this is uh, probably one of my favorites of the year. So I'm probably going to take a back seat because I think you guys know a little bit more about this movie than me, reading your guys' books and knowing your uh, history and everything like that. So I guess how to introduce House by the Cemetery. I guess it's Fulci's, is it his only haunted house story? Or is the Beyond a Haunted House story too? Or is that just, you know what I mean? Uh, a bizarre film, nonetheless. Well, I guess you could call the Beyond a Haunted House film, and uh, there's some later stuff too that comes to mind, like uh, oh. Ghosts of Sodom, um, House, of Clocks. There. House, House of, of Clocks, Clocks. Oh. House of Clocks, Sweet House of Horrors. You know, those are um, those are good. Those two, um, Ghosts of Sodom, probably not so much, but not not a great movie there. I just remember Nazis on a dinner table or something like that. Well, it was kind of a, a low-rent attempt at a kind of uh, fusion of Supernatural and uh, kind of Visconti's The Damned. And, uh, well, it's it's one of the few Fulci films I don't have anything positive to say about. All right. So uh, House by the Cemetery is kind of an oddball because it's always thrown in with the Gates of Hell trilogy, which I've ever since I've been growing up, I've never considered this a Gates of Hell movie. There's only two of them, City of the Living Dead. And of course, the Beyond. This one was thrown in when they released it on DVD and Blu-ray in a trilogy, kind of loose trilogy. This doesn't have anything. It's not a Gates of Hell movie. It's a ghost story and kind of a mad scientist movie. It follows yeah. a family moving in to do some research, a la kind of like The Shining. And uh, there is a Dr. Friedstein in the basement, and there is his family haunting the premises. The whole town almost seems in on it. So that's kind of the plot of House by the Cemetery. I think that it does have some, sometimes some unintentional humor that people get from it because some of the dubbing, of course, uh, Infamous Bob, which I'm so tired of hearing about, and uh, some other things, just some oddities and weirdness about it, but it's got, its, it's got a great charm. So who, who wants to go first? Talk about House by the Cemetery. Well, all I know to start is that I think that the oddball dubbing in these movies is really a big part of the charm. And while it certainly adds a camp factor that these movies wouldn't have otherwise, this is how we know these movies. They weren't shot with sync sound, so I'd imagine that in any language there's a camp factor. But um, the House by the Cemetery played so widely in the States. It was such an easy-to-find video cassette. I think most of us saw it on VHS in the VHS era. It didn't, um, because of its scope photography, uh, some of the panning and scanning looks worse than on Gates of Hell, for example, which is 185, so there's less cropping when it's pan and scanned. Whereas in House by the Cemetery, you really did have shots of like the bridges of people's noses when it should have been a set of eyes, etc. But it's a movie that we all saw pretty early in our Fulci exploration, depending on our ages. For me, it was certainly one of the first Fulci movies I saw. And 
the oddball aesthetic that Fulci films from that period tend to have um, just captured me at a young age and has remained one of my favorite styles in the history of cinema so yeah I suppose it was one of the three first Fulci films that I saw I think the first one I saw was the Black Cat which used to show up on the USA Network back in the day and uh, then there was this one in Zombie um, video stores in the 80s you couldn't it was hard to walk into a video store that didn't have a copy of Zombie uh, and House by the Cemetery was, was almost as popular um, what I didn't realize when I first saw the movie back in the day on VHS, of course, I knew nothing about these films. I knew nothing about dubbing or, or uh, any, anything of the kind, knew nothing about Lucio Fulci beyond just the very you know, sketchiest of things I'd read here and there. Um, it was that apparently the, the reels were out of order uh, in, in, uh, in that transfer. Um, <laughs> Which, uh, I mean, I guess given the way that these films tend to be very loosely plotted, it could be argued, mm, maybe it's not really all that noticeable. I don't, I don't remember what it did to the kind of uh, um, continuity of the film because I saw that version when I was much, much younger. So I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I remember precisely how that played. Um, but I, I guess it's a testimony to the sort of dreamy quality that he brings to these movies that, in a way, it almost doesn't even matter. Although this one, I think, um, is a little bit more, I don't want to say conventional, but it, it's a little more uh, structured. Uh, it is. It's the to... most cohesive, like, plot-wise compared yeah. to The Beyond and Gates of Hell, which yeah. the, gate, the Gates of Hell is really plays like a series of set pieces, right? And I, I know the idea is it's supposed to be like a nightmare, but uh, this film has the most conventional setup as far as like it has a climax, you know, a denouement, if you yeah. will. Like it's set up a conventional storytelling. So I, I do think yeah. though, unlike uh, the Beyond and Gates of Hell, which are kind of the Gates of Hell are open and all madness, and the set it's definitely a set piece movie from the and the Beyond too. This one, I think it's conceptually a little bit more harder to grasp than the other two because the other two is it's open, it's chaos. This one has some like time circular structure and it's definitely like Troy in his book mentions, it is definitely, and the commentary, it is definitely a take on The Shining in certain aspects. And it, it kind of kind of goes after that as well. And I think that it's a little bit kind of stranger to grasp, you know what I mean, in terms of the uh, concepts and just the idea of the ghost story itself and being forewarned before you go there. That, that stuff's not typically in the city of living dead and the beyond. I mean, there's kind of, there's premonitions, but not in the same sense. Yeah, and I, I would agree. I don't really consider it to be a so-called Gates of Hell movie. That, that never really made sense to me. And I, I'll go even further and say I don't really consider it to be a zombie movie. I've talked no. about this before. No. I don't. I mean, Freudstein is a mad scientist. Um, he's not dead. He's, in point of fact, he's kept himself alive through mad science. <laughs> so he's not uh, He's not a zombie. Uh, and I, I don't understand. I don't know. I, it just Everybody just seems to go with that as the kind of go-to description of this movie. And it, that has never made sense to me. No, well, first of all, people are followers, and so one person says it, and then other people say it. But um, the only connection, really, to the Beyond and Gates of Hell for me is just the time period. Like, this is that yeah. period of Fulci's career. Certainly, um, I view them in that regard, and, you know, Catriona's in all three of them, right? Um, so that um, links them in that, in that way. 
But uh, no, to call it a zombie movie, he just was um, known for zombie, and then people refer to this as a zombie movie. That's pretty silly. Um, yeah, yeah, I, think I agree. First... I mean, I, I just, I, you know, again, well, like you said, it's a, kind of a cattle thing. People just kind of keep repeating it over and over again because everybody else does it. Um, but, you know, another thing that ties into what you're saying, you know, in terms of the time frame that it was made and the way people make assumptions based on the time frame it was made, is that for a long time, people were convinced that Gates of Hell was shot in 235. And when it first came out on, on DVD and, and so forth, and it was you know, framed quite properly at 185, people were saying, no, 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 if you put the, if you put the box up on the frame, you can, it's like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. You're completely destroying composition. So no, uh, just because a lot of his films were shot in 235 during this period doesn't mean they all were. Contraband wasn't shot in 235 either. No, and so not to jump around too much, but when we're talking about the aspect ratio, um, the wonderful Mahoning Drive-In Theater that primarily shows movies on 35 millimeter, the Mahoning Drive-In is um, amongst its many delightful features, the giant screen is scope shaped. But of course, what that means is most of the movies they show there um, there's no information on the sides. And so I went to a festival there to see House on the Edge of the Park in 35 millimeter again, which is 185 to 1. That same night, they showed um, Buried Alive, which I think is shot on Super 16. It might be 166 to 1, maybe. But, um, but then I was disappointed that New York Ripper was going to be the only film that wasn't shown on film, that they were going to show from a new like 4K transfer, but seeing it in scope on that giant screen just blew my mind. I just yeah. like, just watching New York River in true scope on this giant outdoor screen that was scope shaped without letterboxing. Oh my God, was that an experience. And, and, you know, and I think that that's why a lot of us, um, when we started having the ability to see some of these movies at special screenings, I've seen House by the Cemetery, Gates of Hell, and the Beyond, all of them in 35mm. And um, they, they really are impressive when seen that way. Um, I, I, um, uh, the Beyond was never my favorite until I saw, you know, in 97 or whenever it was that they restored it. And I saw it on a giant, giant screen. Um, that just was a whole new experience, even though I had seen it uncut, um, seeing it that way just blows your mind scope is not something that um even with 4k technology at home um scope films just like lose a lot by being watched on a television i think so yeah the atmosphere in this movie is, is excellent like from the opening with the crypts and the cemetery out there the camera work Silvati was great like even when you look at his stuff that he didn't do with Fulci like there's always I always had a fondness of Ghoulies too growing up and I was like man this is just so well made and then you look at the camera work and you're like oh shit no wonder it has an Italian crew and it's just so much yeah. better than it has any right to be and uh, this one, it, it just looks excellent. Like the, it's the thick with atmosphere. And uh, like I said, I, I just, this one, it, it's genuinely creepy in a weird way, in almost a silly way, but at times it, it genuinely just seems like a premonition. I think it does the premonition stuff really well. And I, I've always liked the picture play, you know, the picture play in the beginning. 
it's not as it's not as good as the pitcher playing bird with the crystal plumage, but it's still pretty good. Well, I mean, it taps into, I think, very effectively a lot of sort of childhood fears, too, which works really well. I, I always thought that the scene where Bob goes down into the basement and uh, he sees the, the eyes staring back at him is like, that's primal stuff. I mean, that's that's something that even many of us into uh, adulthood, we, we have that sort of fear of being in a dark place, you know, that idea that something's going to be staring back at you. And it's done really, really well. It reminds me a little bit of an effect that Bava did in uh, Baron Blood, um, but it's very effective. And also, uh, actually, Argento did in uh, uh, Suspiria and in Inferno, the eyes staring back. Um, it's it's very effectively done. And, uh, you know, obviously Fulci was pretty um, no holds barred and, and wasn't concerned about playing uh to any kind of uh a- a- attitude of good taste and uh <laughs> so he didn't he didn't have concerns about putting children into uh, intense situations uh which i think is surprising to a lot of people when they watch these films for the first time you know especially even if you go back to what i think is his best film a giallo he did in the 70s called don't torture a duckling which deals with the concept of child murders that's you know that's pretty taboo bursting stuff and it's something that he just really didn't seem to give a damn about doing he just he would go there uh that's one of the reasons that we love him so much and, well and in I the think- um the strong scenes and the gore scenes and the horrific scenes are all the more so when they are juxtaposed with the campy dubbing it's sort of like um it sort of makes those scenes all the more powerful because of the uh the shifts in tone, I think. But well, I, mean, I think, also... you know, as far as the dubbing goes, I, I have to say, I, I'll stick up for a little Giovanni Freitza because he takes so much crap for his uh, performance. If you look at what he's doing in the film, he's actually, he's pretty damn good, I think. Uh, it's a tough part for a little kid to play, and, and uh, he really, I think he does a really fine job, and Fulci must have liked him to a certain extent because he brought him back again for Manhattan Baby, uh, which is not a great film, but it's an interesting film. And uh, he has a prominent role in that. So, you know, and he did show up in some other things. He did a couple movies for Lumberto Bava, for example. So, uh, and he never aside, aged. I think he's he never aged. He no, looked he the was same. And all the, he was like, I, my, when we did a panel, I asked him if he went through puberty when he was 30. Because, like, he's like <laughs> the same in all these movies. Yeah, you see him at the end, the very end of Demons. Uh, yeah. And he looks exactly, and it's only a few years later, but still, he looks exactly the same. Five years for a kid is a long time. Yeah. Talking about ki- kids in peril, I mean, you think the beyond. And he, he boils that poor girl's face off with acid. So he, he took, <laughs> pulled no punches. And I was going to mention one of the, the funniest scenes in here, just because it's so fast and so shocking, is uh, the part when he says, now, uh, Bob, get away from the door. Okay. And then, boom, oh, yeah. Bernstein puts his head right on the door and does that right yeah. away. That's yeah. such a good, good, good scene. Um, Manhattan Baby, first of all, is a great film. Not to not to argue. <laughs> I think that's a very underrated film. But um, It's good. But I, I think that... Um, I, as you said on your commentary track, I think that the um, IMDb crediting of a man to his voice on this movie—that has to be wrong. It's a woman um, trying to be put. Oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, that's that must be correct. Yeah, I believe it's a woman. It's it's probably a woman just desperately trying to sound like a sure. boy. <laughs> it doesn't work. But I mean, it's not his fault, you know. And, no. and he takes a lot of crap for that, which is unfortunate. We it, made it a full video. The entire movie. We made a cool video when we were together 
where I would say some of the um, lines from the movie in a high-pitched voice, and he would mouth them, and and it was really ner- <laughs> really nerdy, wonderful time with Giovanni. Um, like you know, what is what's the line? Parents, parents never understand; they just do what they want, or whatever the um, you know, <laughs> lines like that. <clears throat> but uh, no, the um, this movie is more structured than other Fulci films from this time period. Um, maybe that's the word we're looking for. Um, yeah, I think so. Because I, I know with um, Gates of Hell, and in particular The Beyond, he said he wanted to make like a pure movie, something that just didn't have any structure, no plot, just a random string of, of, of sequences. And, uh, you know, the Gates of Hell has this weird sort of race against the clock structure, which is kind of forgotten after a certain point. Like, it's really important they get there. And then they get there and it's like, oh, guess what? It's midnight. It's like, well, okay, we might as well go home. It's over now because according to this, there's nothing you can do about it. But it continues on anyway. It sort of veers back and forth between one vignette and another. Uh, and the beyond, of course, just totally is is completely random and just flows in its own weird sort of way. So this one, by comparison, does feel like more of a quote unquote conventional story, um, but it still goes off in really strange directions and has a lot of weird little non sequiturs that, that don't really make any sense. Um, and I love how like it's just like the whole town knows something is off with the the fruit scene. Now that's that reminds me of like they you mentioned it does have some kingism in there. You know what I mean? How like the whole mm-hmm. town wants to forget about everything. Um, the, the the guy's got the great line in there when he says, "Sure, give the bad product a new a new name. It's always it'll mm-hmm. always be the Fruitsteins house." You know what I mean? The Fruitsteins. Yeah. It's just like, and, and I like that idea too. And, and it almost seems like everybody knows that the place is fucked up, and, and almost the whole town is fucked up because of it. But no one, everybody refuses to do anything about it. Like even the weird little guy who comes in and he's like, "That's where he killed himself." That that whole part is just so. But so so realistic in a in a stupid way because there is a you I've had people do that kind of stuff. You're like, thanks, buddy. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. No, why did you tell me that? It's very Lovecraft in a way. It's it's sort of Arkham. Yeah. You know, it's that yeah. that sense of a community that's been warped by something awful and indescribable that's happened. So uh, it's a little bit Stephen King. It's a little bit Lovecraft. It's a little bit Henry James, Turn of the Screw. Uh, it's all, it's all these kind of elements, sort of thrown together in a really interesting way that you know yeah it might be derivative to a certain extent but it never feels like a ripoff i always hate when people accuse Fulci of sort of ripping off romero and argento no. it's like no, no maybe no. maybe these other artists are a little bit Fulci is what um is is, is more accurate you know? i He's think not it's just, they're very different ultimately they're very yes. you know if you look at romero he is radically different from Fulci. if you look at argento they're very very different uh, argento is very sort of cold Fulci is very hot, you know, and, and that, that the temperament is very different. The attitude, the approach is very different. Uh, as nasty as Argento could get in a film like Tenebrae, for example, ain't nothing compared to what Fulci did with New York Ripper, uh, which remains uh, kind of the lightning rod of controversy among his films to this day. I love it. I think it's a great yeah. film, but a lot of people... Oh, I mean, New York Ripper is about as good as it gets. I mean, um, yeah. New York Ripper and Tenebrae, whenever you're having... Uh, like rom-com film festival, you have to include both of those. I mean, those are just... I, um, the thing is, like, we, we mentioned that Fulci always came in hot. Like, you're right about... I feel like Argento is a little colder, for sure, in terms of, like, emotion. But I do think mm-hmm. Tenebrae probably gets the closest, or Stenhall. But, but as far as... Uh, I don't think Argento could ever make a scene like uh, uh, Don't Torture a Duckling when Farinda Malkin... No. That scene is so emotionally oh, hard to watch. Scene. 
It makes you cry. It makes you cry. I, Argento's yeah. never made me cry. But we're so immersed in this stuff. I think, like, for the average viewer, the music, the oddball dubbing, and the extreme gore of the of these filmmakers make these movies like similar enough. Like they're like, yeah. like Fulci and Argento. Sure, they're wildly different, but there's also a lot of overlap. And I yeah, think, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, you know, if, if someone has like say just seen Tenebrae and the New York Ripper, are they really going to think that these are wildly different filmmakers? I don't know. Um, you know, they'll they'll see some differences certainly, but. Um, the camera work, I would say, right away on that one. I think Tenebrae seems... How much more expensive was Tenebrae? It seems way more expensive to me. Oh, oh it was a much bigger lots. budget. So film. much, so much, much right? The, you mentioned Florinda Balkan. Like, I recently was reminded about how much I love dubbing as a part of these movies when um, La Setti Madonna, The Last House on the Beach, came out on Blu-ray overseas. And now that movie's not in English. A lot of these movies are in English, and then they're dubbed, or mainly in English. Maybe they're not. Maybe not all the cast is speaking in English. But that no. movie's not even in English. But when the um, overseas Blu-ray did not include the English language dub that I'm so familiar with and find so amusing with the lines about you know I don't like priests, nuns neither. Like that's like a big <laughs> part of the aesthetic for me. And when it's not there, and I'm watching it in Italian, it just it bummed me out. I was sad to I, I felt the loss of the um of the english dub that um, in that movie well you, know, you should probably watch the italian dub because it's in italian unlike so many of these movies well but. a lot of a lot of sort of film snobs seem to think that you know the the original language the authentic language is italian um you know and that's not always necessarily the case yeah. a lot of these films were shot in english right they would sometimes be shot in a weird melange of different languages yes. if you had spanish and french actors they'd all be speaking you know sometimes you had like fellini movies where actors were just saying gibberish um so there is no authentic right. soundtrack and one one dub is as good as another and in some cases i prefer the english dubs i prefer the english sure. dubs on a lot of fulci films and and really most of argento's films until the 21st century really yeah. um you know most of those films work perfectly well in english for me right the only now time I... uh, go ahead. Go ahead, nothing important so right, right now godzilla minus one is extraordinarily yeah. popular it's being praised i i enjoyed <laughs> it myself but i i think it, it like highlights what we like about these movies and for me i got into godzilla watching godzilla versus the smog monster on uhf i like my godzilla bright green horribly dubbed you know like what <laughs> like what i get off on in a godzilla movie i don't you know like i understand what people are appreciating about this new movie but um i'm a smog monster guy give me a bright green stupid godzilla with atrocious dubbing and a save the earth song and i'm happy you know like so you know like i'd much rather rewatch that than this this movie that you know i do understand why but i'm also sick of people who watch three movies a year and then want to tell you that one of them is the best movie of the year it's like okay well, <laughs> you know like uh, i just watched my first movie of the year it's the best movie of the year and the worst movie of the year right it's, the best. <laughs> it's everything one of, one of my jokes i used to say to people if i walked out of a movie and so oh what'd you think i'd sometimes say this is the best movie i've seen all day you know um, <laughs> like I never feel comfortable making lists of new movies unless you watched at least like seventy five. You know what I mean? You gotta have no, it. I, that's why I don't even bother sometimes. You know no, what I mean? That's like, it's like this idea of trying to say what the greatest movie ever made is. How nobody can say that. Nobody no. has seen every film. It is impossible because exactly. so many films are lost 
they're gone. You can't see them. It's impossible. Well, and the Rape Man series alone from Japan. I mean, you have to include at least six of them. So, well, I mean, so there, there's how many Rape Mans? The, the number five, I think there's, six, and seven. No, there's eight. I think there's eight. I believe there's well, the, eight. But there's the two ones, the Edo too, Rape Man and Edo, that are period pieces. So I don't, oh. I don't know why. I've seen the first four Rape Mans, and I think I got the gist of it. I think I know. Just don't mix it up with Rain Man. Rape Man no, and Rape Man. No, <laughs> only Rain Man himself would um would mix those up. Um, <laughs> But no, I think Troy and I, Troy and I both have sort of um, lived some of our childhood dreams by getting to, and you have too, Dave. You've met a lot of these people. It um, it really was wonderful when we did this House by the Cemetery reunion in 2011, and there were um, five, I think, um, cast members assembled together. I never thought I'd sit down with Dagmar, Lysander, um, Carlo DeMeo. The two kid actors and Catriona, Sylvia Colatina, Giovanni Freitza, and Catriona yeah. McCall, and, and all in one room. Like it just was really, it was one of those like magical. And thanks Mike Baronis for um, bringing these people yeah. here. But it, it was really, um, you know, one of my favorite um, convention experiences. And the the yeah. on camera interviews we did have been used and reused for the last dozen years or so on every yeah. edition that has come out. And now there's you know. At least three commentary tracks. Troy did one. Callum Waddell did one, and Mike did one. And yeah, no, there's yeah. um a lot of House by the Cemetery. Um, you know, a lot of the secrets are not so secret anymore, which is cool. Uh, and yeah, Mike Mike deserves a lot of credit uh, for really banging the drum really loudly and and helping to set a lot of things up. Um, he was a great help to me when I was writing my book. I mean, he was the one who. Set, I mean why he got a very special prominent credit on the cover because he was you know he went above and beyond so uh, I have a lot of appreciation for him uh, Carlo DeMeo you mentioned I never met him in person but I, I did get to sort of uh, talk to him remotely so to speak and what a what a lovely man he was um, nice yeah. nice sweet man it was a shame he passed away as young as he did yes. um, so terrible loss he has a very Rather small role in this film compared to City of the Living Dead or Gates of Hell, whatever you want to call it, but uh, very effective as uh, Mr. I think it's Mr. Mr. Wheatley, isn't he? Yeah. Yes. Um, which isn't that the name of a? Is it Wheatley? The name of a character in the Dunwich Whore? I feel oh, like there's a yeah. Wheatley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's definitely from that. I just I just registered that. So and this does have some Dunwich in there for sure. Um, yeah, I forget he's in this and he pops up and he is just a complete madman. He's just polar opposite. A polar opposite of, of mm -hmm. uh, who he is in City of Living Dead. And he, he's a pretty versatile actor, considering the fact that in 1980, he also did that, what, Terror Express, where he plays a rapist. He plays yeah, a 20-year-old rapist and, like, a 40-year-old professor in the same year. And you would be like, you're like <laughs> well, I don't he, know how, but it works. Then then he shows up as kind of an irritating asshole in, in Manhattan Baby. So, uh, yeah, he's he's got range. Yeah, well, let's not forget, good. oh, his name is escaping me. I'm going to have to look it up. Who's the actor? Who's in both Last House on the Beach and Fiddler on the Roof? Um, that's Ray Lovelock. Favorite. Ray Lovelock, thank oh, you. Ray God. Another so very sweet. nice man. Uh, another Great one guy. No longer, no yeah. longer with good us. Good actor too. A lot of good. Yeah, movies. he was. Yeah. No, he did well, a lot of good stuff. We've gotten to meet so many of these people that the ones we haven't met, it's like, God damn it, I wanted to meet this person. Um, yeah, Daniela has um, now she's uh, out there on the internet and. Um, it was really exciting for me. You know, our ultraviolet logo for years has been the knife through the head from um, House by the Cemetery. We got 
through Mike Baronis. Um, she has an ultraviolet t-shirt that she posed <laughs> in, and that was really, very cool. Um, she'd be a fun convention guest over here. Um, she seems yeah. to have a good sense of humor about the brutal yeah. scenes she did. Yeah. Um, but the way they did gore, I mean, it was gore in these Italian movies really is different than it is in the American gore films of the period. I mean, there's some similarities, but it's just the, the Italians did it in such an over-the-top, lingering way that's just, like, really, um, really in your face. And, um, you know, especially given the Video Nasties movement was happening yeah. at that time, and, you know, well, you know that didn't happen here, but there was a lot of self-censorship with, um, you know, companies cutting their movies for R ratings and Paramount um, big time. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. And, uh, well, I mean, I mean, just think of the splinter, the eye splinter scene in zombie is the perfect example of that. I mean, most directors would not have gone there. Uh, certainly not only just it's set up in such a way that's the, the brilliance of the way that scene is shot is that it, it, it keeps cutting away and you keep thinking, okay, it's, where it's not going to go, but it does. And not only does it go back, but then it gets closer and closer. And then you get that nasty little grace note at the end where the splinter breaks off breaks in the off. eye. And it's just oh. incredibly, nobody else would have done that. It's brutal. I, th I think I think Zombie was the first I saw. I'm thinking of the Fulci in order. It had to be Zombie, then Gates of Hell, then House by the Cemetery. I think those are the big three. I mean, Zombie, I, I was a Romero fanatic from age like eight or nine, yeah. you know, so I had to see Zombie, and that was the, the next one. And Gates of Hell, the cover art and everything, it's always in the video stores, look the same as Burial Ground and Night of the Zombies, so grab yeah, all yeah. them. But no, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, going back to Lovecraft one more time, and this is the one thing that I really find probably <clears> the <throat> most effective scene in the movie, and I think it's the most Lovecraftian scene, is where we have the moment where we have the tape recorder and his previous oh, yeah. um, friend, his associates, going mad over it. And he says that the, the crying and the tears and the recording of, a, of somebody losing their mind is one Lovecraft 101 for me. And we got that really weird kind of almost kind of low budget style shot that somebody would do with the tracking like it's not mm -hmm. low budget in this but it looks really good but that's something that i feel like a lot of low budget filmmakers would do and it's very effective going through the basement and that's where you see yeah. some of the really gnarliest gore like real intestines and stuff i would say some of it was well the whole thing with the tape you know some and this is one of the things that people do sometimes they, they mean well and they're very enthusiastic but the Everybody wants to uh, say that this influenced this and this influenced that. And sometimes it's like, no, realistically, that's not possible. Uh, it's very similar to something in Evil Dead, of course. And yeah, you might right. think, oh, well, this must have been. Evil Dead was shot before this. It, it was impossible. It, it was something that took a long time for it to take shape and get released and so forth. So that's one of those things you, you look at it and you think, oh, yeah, that, that must have been. No, 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 no. It was uh, that's a coincidence. That's a very. Um, that's a good example of, of a happy coincidence that can happen with these movies sometimes. Well, it's both Lovecraft. I would say that's that's Lovecrafty in effect. And I know oh God, yeah. some, and, and I don't I don't know if Sam Raimi. Somebody was trying to say what was the oh, they brought up a movie, it was like some uh classic gothic horror movie, and they're like, Well maybe Sam Raimi saw that and I was like, Probably not. Sam Raimi they saw yeah. drive in movies, but if you listen to Sam Raimi talk they weren't these horror fanatics. They weren't like obsessed with horror movies. They liked movies, but they weren't they weren't like us. No. They weren't going to see these movies. They no, were just regular that's, jokes. That's like uh, people going on about Ridley Scott taking stuff from Mario Bava. I don't believe that. 
I don't think Ridley Scott's the kind of guy that's watching these movies. I don't. Uh, I think Dan O'Bannon took things, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and no question about that. But I don't think Ridley Scott did. So yeah, when you see like a really overt, um, you know, grab like the Friday Thirteenth Part Two death where the spear yeah, goes, yeah. I don't. Whoever says that they didn't steal that from Fava, like yeah, right. Okay, the like, special effects like, guy, like, like Who it's knows? just like yeah, someone somewhere saw Stole that. that. You know, I just they I did. don't believe it. Um, it's just too similar but unless it's something that uncanny you know it's um you know oh this movie has a creepy kid so it's uh ripping off <laughs> shining i mean yeah. i mean like we've had creepy kids in movies from the dawn of oh there's a haunted house and there's a creepy kid it's the shining i mean now mind you the shining had just been a big hit and like so i mean i like okay you can take it back to the bad seat for god's sake yeah all yeah. kinds of things Right. But I, I do see right. The Shining, just this, the weird ones, like the axe in the door, and then the blood, yeah. the blood, the blood, and then the, the elevator blood, and just like, it's just stuff that you could pick up from the trailer, almost, right? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, David Warbeck said that when he was making The Beyond, he, he went to, I think he claimed he either went to Fulci or Sacchetti and said, look, we're, we're doing a little bit of a knockoff of The Shining here, aren't we? And they said, uh, "What? What? We have no idea." Heard of this, you know. So I, I don't know. I don't know. I. That was a big hit. That was a major mainstream big hit movie. That wasn't something that was going to go under the radar. That was a big film by a big director with a big star. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's a safe assumption. So I know people always kind of try to. I know that what was that? Hysteria continues actually covered this on their show, and they do slasher films, and they kind of had this at a slasher bend. And the, the opening is maybe a slasher kill, but that's about it. But the knife and everything, and it's not, you know, I guess it has just that opening. That's it. Because there's only really, besides that, besides the big climax, there's only two other kills in the movie. And it's Dagmar and um, the babysitter. And yeah. they get, that those scenes actually go on to the point. Those, those two kills would be a good point. If someone was sitting there saying, look, Fulci is a misogynist. I mean, I don't believe that shit, but you know, you could show those scenes and just watching them just get no, Fulci, Fulci was a misanthrope altogether. I don't think yeah. yeah. the, the guys don't get off so easily in his movies either. No, no. Well, again, we're talking about time periods and this was the slasher era, you know? Yeah. And so that's a big reason why these scenes seem like scenes from a slasher movie. You know, kids having sex in the basement and then one of them's going to get killed or both of them are going to get killed. But yeah. I'm no, I'm so damn sick of the idea that just because a movie might have a misogynistic character, that doesn't make the movie misogynistic. Like, no. are we that myopic about, um, you know, well, art? like, I mean, like if a movie has a racist character, it doesn't make exactly. the movie racist. It's probably anti-racist, you know, it's like. No, um, I think part of the confusion is like you get to a movie like the New York Ripper and because you have the Jack Headley character saying some really nasty things in it. Because he's your main character in a movie, people think, well, that's Fulci's mouthpiece. No, he's not. He's an asshole. Right. He's no. a very unsympathetic he's character to be the whole an way asshole. through. Yeah. yeah. So he's I saying mean, really judgmental, nasty things. That does not mean that Fulci himself is a misogynist, but people, they'll keep saying that. No, they will. And then, you know, and then when I try to argue the point, like people notice that I have an erection and then they're like, oh my God, like, come this on. This looks like the poster from they're Maniac like, over they're here. They're like, why? Like, like, can't you get a trapper keeper, dude? And then I'm like, okay, like, I'm not going to cover it up with a trapper keeper, but no. I understand. Um, I always make know, the awful like, joke when we watch the movies and like, they'll be like, oh, the horrible rape scene, but then I'll just take a beat and I'm like, yeah, but did you see what she was wearing? Every time, every time, just to fucking piss them off. It's just a joke, but... Well, that's the thing, too. Like, a rape, oh, the rape scene was so so nasty and vicious. Good. 
It yeah, you be. want it to be not right. Like you want to get you sick, want, right? Right. It should be uh, the, the rape scene in Frenzy is very unpleasant. Yes, it should be. Uh, it's not meant to be sexy. It's not meant to be erotic. Well, you know, when you get to Hanny Calder, then maybe there's some questions to be raised. Well, that's a weird <laughs> one. <clears throat> yeah. What were you saying, Art? Sorry about that. Oh no, I just um, all this this type of media criticism leads to the mentality that they had in the UK that led to the mass censorship of these movies. Yeah. It's high art versus low art. I did a commentary with Camille for I Spit in Your Grave in the UK. That movie is still not available uncut in the United Kingdom. That's fucked up. Like, that is, like, um, really despicable. I mean, like, censorship is the worst. And um, It is. The idea that, like, oh, I can watch this and, and I'll be fine, you know, but... If these Cretans watch it, they'll go out and, and that's rape what and it pillage. Is. Yeah. It's like yeah, and, and and like but but if it was high art, you know, if it was um you know, a, a, a different director, then it would be allowed. But since it's you know some slob Mirzarki, um, you know, like like it's no and no one cares, you know. Um, even if you explain it to them, people will still try to tell you, you know, I do not. I'm not trying to sound like a patriot. I'm certainly not one. I don't have a lot of great things to say about this country, but um, you know, uh, the First Amendment is pretty cool, even if well, it um, doesn't work as as we want it to. Um, this issue has been an issue for for decades. I mean, you go back to. I always remember hearing the story about when uh, Hammer, uh, you know, made Curse of the Werewolf, and they submitted it to the British censor, and they wanted all these cuts, and the producer said this is nothing compared to what's in Psycho. And they said, well, Terrence Fisher isn't Hitchcock. You know what I mean? He's not on that level. He can't be taken seriously as an artist. And so that was always dogging people like Fulci because Fulci was always seen as kind of a lowbrow populist filmmaker as opposed to a serious artist. And and what I don't understand is the people that grew up watching these movies like us, like I Spin Ender Grave, Last House on the Left, Cannibal Holocaust, and they'll sit there and be like, Cannibal Holocaust is a masterpiece. And then you don't have to like the new movies if they're extreme, but you'll get people out there that they just Serbian film. It's all fake. Nobody's hurt. It's all fake. And they will jump down this movie's throat and they'll act exactly like the people that they hated did against last every generation. And they're just, they don't learn. They don't. Every generation does it. The, the, the the people in the sixties moaned and groaned that the hammer films were too violent compared to the universals. And then when he got into the seventies, Oh, can't we go back to the old hammer days? And then it just keeps repeating on an endless loop constantly. Let's just go I back think to movies the aren't days. violent enough. I, movies aren't violent <laughs> enough. I want I bring back Fulci level gore. Fulci live. And I'm not. I I'm Fulci actually. I a lot of my favorite movies don't have any gore in them whatsoever. A lot of my favorite movies aren't even genre movies. But like, um, I do love me a good Fulci gore effect. And like, I remember the first time I saw a New York Ripper. I, I was smiling ear to ear. I was like. Like, this is my movie. It's like, finally, someone made me a movie. Thank you. <laughs> I love this. I, I like, like, and when people, like, the kind of people who um, criticize something like New York Ripper, their favorite horror movie is always something so basic and stupid. It's always, I'm not going to name names because I'll alienate people, but like, Scream. Um, no, I like Scream. Scream. <laughs> uh, I actually think Scream is a. But it's, no, always, I, but, I know, it's always their favorite movie, though. No, I know, but Scream's a good movie. Um, it's always it's always something generally kind of generic and very mainstream. It's yeah, no, it's usually well, I'm not gonna say. It. 
but and um, it's not even a bad thing if something's mainstream no, either. That's no, not, that's not, not at a all. Bad it's, it's a good movie. It's oh, just there's the basic, great mainstream. You know I mean? There's great mainstream yeah. movies, and um, you know, like some of my all-time favorite films are mainstream movies. But um, no, it's like Fulci's awesome. You don't get it. You don't get it. But um, you know, when um, I really like the later Fulci movies, not all of them, but a lot of them, and like. Um, you know, like, as good as all these movies are, like, uh, if I'm being honest with myself, my favorite Fulci movie's probably fucking Murder Rock. Like, I could watch that movie all day, every day. I like Murder Rock. It's, it's movie magic. It has dance. I like Murder Rock. Great dubbing. Great yeah. <laughs> oh, what but a I genu- movie. I genuinely like it. I think it's really very yeah. stylish. And, yeah. uh, it's it's interesting because it's almost like the anti New York Ripper. It's like, mm, okay, I took it so far. Maybe I need to dial back a few notches. Um, but it's a lot of fun. I like it. It's been it's, uh, years since I watched Murder Rock. Probably since the DVD came out. I, I, I I'm due for reasons. Paranoia is coming your way. Is it eighty three? Yep. Yeah, eighty three. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll rewatch that for eighty three. Then I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So uh, we'll be talking about the violent stuff. And it's weird, like, when movies come out, it's rare that I, I see a moment where my jaw drops. And I, I, I like kind of being shocked in the violence. Not that I'm like, it, it's a weird enjoyment. Like, the sadness did it for me. And it's almost just that they had the gall to do some of the shit they did. I was just like, oh, wow. When that lady said, juicy boy, and went after him, I couldn't well, help but kind of be like, oh. <laughs> what's cool about the sadness compared to other recent extreme movies is it really is first and foremost a gore movie and like we actually don't see that much of that anymore like i I loved the sadness that movie really surprised me what was cool about um when we when i was first exploring fulci what was really exciting about it was um i was a kid we got our first family vcr in 1985 i was 10 years old starting the next year in middle school i was like by then i was deep into the horror section at my local video store and I had a great I, I was very lucky I had great local video stores they had everything and so tapes that I know now were very hard to rent were not hard for me to rent I could just get them at this commercial video store it wasn't like some quiet mom and pop place it was a giant well-lit like superstore but locally owned but they had everything and so you know within like you know 18 months I went from like Herschel Gordon Lewis to Fulci and Argento and what I could find of other Italians. And it was just a really exciting time. And then you had the tape trading era after that between the VHS boom and DVD, where now we're getting like the Fulci movies that weren't available in the States. Um, You know, as a joke, my partner, my girlfriend, the enabler, Alana got me a beta player in the year 2000. <laughs> so funny. Like, that was one of the only, like, the first time I had a beta player. But I came upon these Japanese beta tapes. And I have a Japanese beta tape of House by the Cemetery. Um, it's it's widescreen. It fucking looks like a laser disc. The thing's beautiful. Like, um, you know, tapes weren't all garbage. Um, and it was a great time for exploration. You know, the other day, I watched this Belgian giallo the pencil murders just because yeah. I really wanted to see it. The quality wasn't good, you know, but I, but sometimes it's important to watch the movie you want to see over, yeah. you know, watching a pristine print of something. So, no, I agree. I agree. I think we're, we, we're in a great period in the sense that so much is available, but the, the downside to that is that we take it for granted and yeah. uh, we, we don't always afford things to respect. 
that we should of, of undivided attention and of really kind of, you know, not to sound like an old fart. I mean, you're you're about the same age as me. And, you know, growing up in the 80s, very often when something would come on late night TV, you had to watch it because you didn't know if it was right. going to come on again. You didn't know if you're going to have that chance. And nowadays everything's available. But the, the other side of that, too, is that because everything's available in such pristine quality, and we're getting very spoiled with lots of extras and things like that, which I'm very grateful for because I work a lot in that sort of thing myself. Yes. But very often the movie gets lost in the shuffle. And it seems to me that a lot of the conversation has less to do with the movie and more to do with the packaging, more to do with the menu screen, more to do with, you know, it's missing this frame or it's, ah, you know, Christ, you give it a rest already. <clears throat> well, yeah, no, I, I'll, I, I'll never forget flipping channels as a teen and on Skinamax coming across the devil's honey. Um, that yeah. tape. <laughs> they played that on TV. It, well, and it turns out my childhood video store had the U.S. tape, Deadly Obsession. Dangerous Obsession. Yeah. Danger, I'm sorry, Dangerous Obsession. But it had such shitty cover art. It was in mm -hmm. like the action section or something. And I yes. spent very little time in the action section yeah. because, you know, I knew Ilsa was there. So I'd go to get my Ilsa and then I'd leave. But, um, <laughs> but like, no, like the um, the horror section, it didn't have it. So I'm watching, I'm flipping chat. I see Fulci's name on the screen. Mm -hmm. I'm like, holy fuck. And so here I am watching this weird erotic thriller with Brett Halsey and who is it? Corinne Cleary, I think. And uh, Corinne Cleary yeah. and Blanca uh, Marsalek uh, and uh, a saxophone. And, and a saxophone and nail polish. <laughs> and just like <laughs> on, on 2.35 in the morning, teenager, pants off in the family room watching. <laughs> and it was just a great experience. And like, like what a, you know, the, I first came upon the Black Emmanuel movies on Skinamax, you know? It's like, um, it just was a wild exploratory time, and um, you know, I'd say I miss that, but I still do. I still do that. Like, uh, you know, as soon as I saw that key art for the pencil murders, I'm like, I need to watch this fucking movie. How do I not know about this? Um, there's yeah. a there's a magic about discovery that is lost. I, I'm not as old as you guys, although I look it. But uh, I, I found <laughs> I flip all this shit. But uh, no, I, I would have to like record things off television, and I I used to go to video store to video store, have the movie books. And I was looking for the weirdest off-the-wall shit where they looked at me like I was crazy. I was asking for dead is dead. Stuff like that, just trying to hunt these movies down. And we live in like a day and age where everything is at our fingertips, but yet people just choose to watch the shit that's streaming and they don't look. And it drives me crazy. Yeah. You have the ability to do AI subtitles if you have a very nice computer, to put AI subtitles on any movie you'd ever want to fucking see and make these movies widely available for anyone, but you guys are choosing to watch whatever is streaming widely like I, I did that the other day i found two from 81 now my computer does not up to snuff to run for the subtitles so they're kind of shaky two japanese yeah. movies that didn't have Amer english subs zoom up uh sexual crime one of the one of the mm -hmm. zoom up movies sexual crime report and another weird movie that i had never heard about in my entire life until recently like dr on chancho's horror theater and mm -hmm. it is a slew of like super eight or just this japanese guy just uh, who directed um what movie did he do he did um legend of the stardust brothers or star brothers from 1985 huh. the, so he made all these shorts and they're they're not all great but it's a it's a hundred minutes of shorts and they're just super bizarre and weird they and it's just quality wise and it's just like i'd rather watch something like that and discover something like that than watch the same shit everyone else did yeah i mean i have a multi-system vcr and um so that's really dangerous because once I hear about something, I can try to find some weird pal tape. And it says it can't play C-cam, but it turns out it can. I used to think it only played C-cam in black and white. 
but the uh, macrovision override switch i had all these years it somehow like defeats that and then you can so i can even watch tapes from france if i want to i can watch tapes from anywhere and um boy am i glad i didn't know that back in the day but um <laughs> like i'd be yeah but um you know i think that um we should all pat ourselves on the back because um you know it is we did our homework and the information we're able to provide others is useful you know there's a lot of um there's a lot of really god-awful audio commentary audio commentary tracks out there and um, you do a really good job troy and i'd like to compliment you for that you sound simultaneously very conversational while um providing a lot of information you know and i'm someone who knows a lot and i always learn things from your commentary tracks you know um and you also have a good rapport with some of the other people you do them with like nathaniel thompson for yeah, example yeah. but um but i mean we've all suffered through like if someone offers me a commentary track and i don't know anything about the movie i say no you know like you know unless yeah unless it's something i can quickly get up to speed on like i try yeah. to you know be helpful not just ramble about no, you know, yeah you know. no i i appreciate it and uh i have enjoyed yours as well that i've heard uh very much so and again you bring that great sense of uh knowledge but also enthusiasm to it so not not to turn us into too much of a circle jerk no. but it is nice it is well, nice and, to know and we're not so bad it's good guys like like i i, I genuinely no. like um these films and while i do of course i laugh at bob's high-pitched ridiculous lines but it's part of the aesthetic and it's not bad it's not a so bad it's good situation no no if, if something if something uh, entertains me or appeals to me then i figure on some level it has been successful yes, and it doesn't i hate when people say i i like cheesy movies i fucking hate that expression no. with, with an absolute passion i hate it uh just own it, embrace it. If you like these types of films, then watch them. You don't have to apologize. You don't have to condescend to them. Uh, and and if you're going to talk about them, hopefully try to talk about them with a little bit of enthusiasm and a little bit of uh, passion instead of just sounding like a monotone robot. You know, that's that's kind of what you want to try to do. I, I just wish everyone that talked about movies worked on a movie or tried to make a movie at one point in their life that would shut them right the fuck up because they'd see yeah. the product they put out and they'd be like fuck like even when you try you're like this sucks but you look it's at it hard like, this is, it's hard it's hard work hard. but you don't also want to fall into the trap of just liking everything either um i i don't believe in just cutting people slack and saying well oh, yeah. it's hard work making a movie yeah i know it is it's really hard work and i applaud anybody that does it but ultimately you do have to kind of look at it and no, say for well sure, for sure. it's good or it's bad or oh, let me explain to you why i don't like it let me explain to you why i do like it uh, no, don't no. just say it's overrated or it's this or it's that. You know, get, try to articulate something. That's a little all bit I more ever wanted was a reason. Yeah. It, just the, let me know joy. why you like it or you don't, and I'll figure out if I like it from that. Yeah. yeah the, the joy of being a high volume film viewer is every year I see a lot of really great movies that I wouldn't see if I didn't watch so many movies. And the flip side of that is I see some god awful movies every year, yeah. but I have to slog through those to find the diamonds in the rough. In the rough, you know. And wow. so I, um, you know, I watch a lot of new movies. I keep up with cinema, mm -hmm. um, and um, you know, I, I I love a lot of them. And there's some boring as shit ones mixed in too. But um, 
know, that's when I get annoyed when someone watches three movies and then they want to tell me that Mad Max Fury Road is the best movie of the year. Okay, well, <laughs> first of all, I didn't like it, but second of all, that aside, you only watched three movies this year, you know? Now, if Mitch Davis tells me something is the best movie of the year and he's watched fucking 400 plus new movies, like, yeah. I'm interested, you know? Like, even if I don't always agree with him, he watches a ton of movies and uh, that opinion matters to me, so. No, but I agree. So, so one more thing on the end of uh, House by the Cemetery. Now, when Bob gets pulled out, we're going to assume that they pulled him and they saved him from a gruesome death, but he's still dead. He's still in that weird world. Now, yeah. do you think that there's possibly like a time loop within this town? That's why the characters keep showing it. You were here last month. You were here. All these kind of things where it's to kind of repeat themselves. Do you think when Freudstein's wife and the daughter take Bob out of there, they're leaving the house for good to kind of break that cycle? Or do you think that Bob and them are just going to have to live in this crazy world because Freudstein's still alive, right? Yeah, I, I kind of tend to think of it as just just a loop. I kind of had the same kind of vibe about The Shining in a way, so I I yeah. think that's kind of a similar deal. At least that's how I see it. Yeah, I think um, it depends on whether or not the whole thing is kind of like a weird nightmare. You know, like is it is it realism? Is it like right? Does it take place in reality? And I don't know. But, um, yeah, all I know is that um, Freudstein, people who think that that's a um, dumb name, I love it. I love the name Freudstein. Oh, it's a cool name. Oh, it was ballsy, ballsy choice, combining Freud with Frankenstein. And, of course, (laughs) uh, people have a field day with that. And, uh, you know, Fulci was not a fan of psychoanalysis at all. And you can see that in his films. If you look at movies like Lizard and Woman's Skin and Cat in the Brain, he really skewers psychiatry as a field. So uh, I think he was having fun with that. Where do you think uh, Freudstein stacks up against uh, the father and... uh... Shrek or Shrek? How did what the fuck is it? I always mix it. <laughs> Father Shrek, <laughs> Father Shrek, Father Thomas and Shrek. Oh, yeah, Shrike, 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 Shrike. Shrike. Oh, um, pro. I think Freudstein might be the scariest of them from my point of view. There's something, there's something really. It's the, it's the, it's all the weird aspect, the the crying sounds and the, the the sort of lurching monster form. I, to me, he's really scary. But so. So is uh, Schweik, and so is Father Thomas. They're all three memorable villains, but Freudstein might be my favorite of the three. I would just like to sit down and play patty cake with all three of them. Um, they, they, <laughs> seem like, they just seem like fun dudes. They know how to have a good time. They do. They, and they make a good, they'd be good babysitters. Like, they could run a very good <laughs> child care center. Um, I think maybe they'd run a better abortion clinic, but I... There you go. Hey, huh. why not? Well, but uh, honestly, like Fulci's kind of underrated for having the uh, villains, creating villains like that. If you don't really think about it, there's three kind of memorable villains in three movies back pretty close together. That's kind of strange, you know? you know? Nobody ever gives him credit like that. Yeah, and no, I try not to get angry at people who um, don't like what I like, like whatever you want. But people who, like, refer to Fulci as a hacker, I will, like... You, you'll see me at 3 a.m. at Cinema Wasteland, like, cussing people out, you know, who, like, have something negative to say about Fulci yeah. when... I mean, we're not talking about that Hershey Gordon Lewis people, here. The people yeah. who do that are people who've seen a pandan scan. People who do that are people who've seen, like, a pandan scan copy of The Beyond, and that's pretty much all they've seen. They, they have no clue. If you go back and look at 
uh, Perversion Story or Lizard and Woman Skin, for example. Yes. He's doing things that Brian De Palma gets a lot of credit for, you know, a decade later. And, uh, that's um, a very different Fulci era. Those movies are yeah. incredible. They're um, slick. Very, they're very slick. Um, the, um, like, this era of Fulci is just, like, so unique. It's, like, um, and the way that he handles gore, the, mm-hmm. um, the sound design oh my it's just um it's its own aesthetic i can't think of a better theatrical experience i ever had from um the first time i saw the beyond because i had seen you know i went from the seven doors of death to like yeah seeing the beyond like on vhs but like transferred from a nice laser disc but it's like in the middle of my tube tv it's this little like sliver of like you know and then um you go to this giant we went the very first city it played was columbus ohio i don't know why we drove there and um this giant single screen theater um scopes shaped screen and it just looked and sounded amazing and like i was just overwhelmed with how much better of a movie it was than i ever had any idea of you know and i had already liked it but like that my appreciation of it just skyrocketed and then same thing with gates of hell and house by the cemetery but like those like um gates of hell like i said because it's um 185 it was like less cropped in panda scan and then um house by the cemetery like um even though it was out of order that tape transfer wasn't terrible like the colors were good and so i don't know like those were both enhanced by seeing them theatrically but god that beyond experience like just shot that movie through the roof for me it was just like went from being a movie that i just kind of liked to being one of my favorite movies it just blew my mind i think i saw house by the cemetery on that shitty diamond dvd in like 1998 probably the first time i saw horrible that's probably where i first saw that one i don't think i i knew seven doors (laughs) of death was cut to shit so I refused to watch that shitty DVD. I waited until it actually got a proper release because they didn't have the Beyond. I don't think the Beyond was the Seven Doors of Death. They might have had that tape, but I knew there was something iffy about it because I didn't. I didn't catch up to that one until I was about twelve or thirteen to start looking for that one. Well, I just always remember the the Seven Doors of Death VHS having a picture of Charles Gray from The Devil Rides Out on it, which was very strange. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> it wasn't even a picture from the right movie, so that was that was weird to start with. That's like that silly trailer, Scream and Scream Again, where they show the guy and they say Peter Cushing. I'm like, that's not. Oh Peter yeah, it's over Cushing. Marshall Jones. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, like, what the fuck? Um, yeah, I mean, where, would you guys stack this up in your top five or top ten, Fulci? What House by the Cemetery? No. It used to be my favorite of at least these three of the um, of this era, um, and that's the only way I consider these three films so related. But then. I have Black Cat and New York Ripper, and and they're sort of in this era too, right? So, um, they're touching. Um, it, it was my favorite for years, and then after, um, I, I don't, I don't even know. No, it's not. It's it, it, top. Did you say top three, Fulci? Top five, top ten. Where where does it sit at? It's in the top five. I mean, you have to put Lizard in a Woman's Skin and New York Ripper, and um, for me, Murder Rock, probably like before it, but. Um, well, you have perversion story. I don't know. I'd have to think. I haven't ranked my full cheese. Um, I'll have to do that and get back to you. I'm bad with I'm bad <laughs> with making lists, so I can yeah. probably tell you off the top of my head that my my top five would be Don't Torture a Duckling, uh, Beatrice Chenchi, For the Apocalypse, City of the Living Dead, and Lizard and Woman Skin. So no, it doesn't make my um, my top five. 
Um, now, Beatrice Chenchi, I can see, but for the apocalypse, that's interesting. But yeah, that's I like that one a lot. Was, it's a good I like movie. That one. Did I put New York Ripper in there? No, you didn't. I don't think you okay, did. Okay, so uh, Lizard Roman Skin would be bumped off by New York Ripper then. Just barely. Wow. I think, so it wouldn't make my top five, but probably my top ten. I think it's in <clears> top ten. I don't think it's top five either. I just don't I just don't think there yeah. is. I mean, unless you're only considering horror movies only. You know what I mean? Then it well, probably yeah. is, Well it would different. be then, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it'd have to be. But uh, yeah, in terms of 1981 as well, it sits in my top 10. It has to. I don't I don't think I like 10 movies more than this from 1981. Um, I like slashers, but slashers can only go so high for me. There's only a couple that I have real near and dear to my heart. So where do you guys put this in your 81 films? Towards a top five, top 10, somewhere around there? Ooh, I haven't done that yet. Well, you're going to have to um, show me a list and I'll have to... My favorite movie of 1981 is The Decline of Western Civilization. Um, I'd have to definitely... Um, oh, I'd have to think about it. Um, but it, it was horror movies only. It's probably in my top 10 from 81. Um, 81's a very slasher-heavy year. Um, right? There's a lot of slashers. Yeah, yeah, yeah tons of slashers. Yeah, there was a lot of slashers. Um, it would be... If it were just horror movies, yeah, absolutely. But 1981, I mean, my God, it's hard to say. I mean... I love American Werewolf in London. I love The Howling. Uh, you know. Oh yeah. Um, the Howling. Of course, The Beyond came out that year as well. So there's a lot of good stuff that year. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Eighty-one. Mm, I mean, even something like Raiders of the Lost Ark would be way up there for me too. Yeah, it's a it's a strong year. It's a strong year. It's a strong time. The early '80s yeah. up until I, you know, for a long, long time. Um, is there anything else you guys want to mention about House by the Cemetery, Lucio Fulci? Uh, Oh, we should probably mention the score a little different. Well, you know, I was going to say the Fabio score, Frizzi. yeah, because that was not Fabio Fritzi this no. time. It was uh, Walter Rizzotti, uh, yeah. who is not one of the typical Fulci go-to composers. And I'm honestly not sure how it was he came to be involved in doing the score. Um, but he did a hell of a good job with it. And um, I wish he would have done more for Fulci. But yeah, uh, Fritzi became his kind of go-to composer during that time. Uh, obviously, he had worked with a lot of great composers before, like Ennio Morricone and Rizzo Tavani and, uh, you know, various other uh, composers. But uh, Fritzi became his kind of, you know, perfect composer. And uh, this was this was Rizzotti's only score for him. It's uh, it's a really good soundtrack, I uh, think. Doesn't it like is it um, is it like um, sacrilegious to say that it just kind of sounds like Fabio Fritzi to me? I mean, um, like. <laughs> it's got a similar vibe. It has a very similar vibe, and um, God, like what, um, what another? Uh, you know, not um, not to change the subject, but like the fact that we've gotten to see like various incarnations of Goblin Live and Fabio yeah. Fritz, whoever thought that would fucking happen? I mean, yeah. like, and um, and it's become so mainstream. Like, I went and saw one of my favorite bands in Brooklyn um, over the weekend, the Templars, and of course they have. A lot of horror iconography. They have a song "Night of the Seagulls," etc. Yeah, and their their intro music was um, Fabio Fritzi's theme from Zombie, just blasting <laughs> this. Like, and I thought that was cool. You know, like um, uh, just that wouldn't have happened a decade ago. I don't think. You know, I feel yeah. like I feel like these um these performers are really um, taking off in a in a way that I didn't expect them to. You know, well, it's it's a nerd's world now, man. They're, they were the only ones paying for stuff so that's what they're focusing on that's why there's <laughs> toys of every single character you've ever saw in a background somewhere but uh, I'm i would glad say this is yep. i'm glad this is happening while they're still 
healthy enough to be able to do it. Oh yeah. yeah, um, yeah. That's, that's a big part of it too. Even like, you know, John Carpenter going on the road and doing some of his music things. That's that he cool. did, I've seen it. You know, yeah, a few years so ago. good. I've that was wonderful. So I saw him, I saw yeah. him in Pittsburgh. I saw Goblin in Pittsburgh, uh, back in October for demons. Um, you know, so yeah. Thanks for saying hi, Troy. I was there, both of those. Were you really? Yeah, totally. Well, why didn't you say hi to me? Well, that's fair. Uh, I, <laughs> the, um, I got to see Goblin um, at Shockstock before the breakup, where Maurizio and Claudio were still friends. That was cool. That was like yeah. their first North American show in forever. And yeah. uh, that was like, you know, and I'm not the biggest soundtrack. I love sound. Don't get me wrong. I love this stuff. But like, that was so fun. And um, yeah. that was like a, a night to remember. But yeah, no, the Demons thing was recent, right? That was just... Um, just the beginning October. of October. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I didn't see you. I would have said hello or at least thrown something at you if I'd seen you. We were in the front row. It was like super cool. We got front row seats. Um, it was, it awesome. was a good show. Definitely good show. Cool. Yeah. One thing I would say about the Rosati score that sounds different from the, the Fabio stuff is I feel like this has some definite like mausoleum kind of sounds like this is just like phantom of the opera a little bit to me i just i just hear it in there you know oh, the like organ. The way that, yeah big time and it's yeah. it's i don't feel like frizzy's is focused on that in there too much i feel like this is more straightforward gothic less you know the other terms i don't know yeah i don't I feel think like, fritzy ever used uh, organ in any of his scores uh, i don't at least i don't think so I feel like frizzy's movies the his scores just seem almost really i guess more impending to if that makes any sense. But all these films, all these films that Fulci was doing during this time, they all had really good scores. Another great score is New York Ripper. Francesco Damasi did a fantastic so, uh, score for that movie. Amazing, amazing I, score. I don't think there's really Just, any bad scores from these Italian movies from 1965 like, to like 1995. Even when the movies suck, the music is good. <laughs> exactly. Uh, almost invariably. I mean, it's even... Like a huge part of the aesthetic of these movies. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like, yeah, that's... That's it. Just jumps out. Um, you can tell from the first couple of frames that it's going to be an Italian movie when that music just starts. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. they, they're the best at everything. I wish I was Italian. <laughs> All right, I appreciate you guys coming out. Do you guys have anything? Plug anything or anything else? I think that we should plug that there's yet another House by the Cemetery um, recent release by Arrow, both yeah. on a four cable and. Um, the extras that Troy and I did are um, exceptional, if we may say so ourselves. But no, that's just a great, it's a great release all around um, and uh, highly recommend it. Um, you do have to have a region-free player for the Blu-ray. I, I imagine the 4K plays on any UHD player, but I, I don't, think so, I don't, yeah. I don't play UHDs yet, so I don't know. What? Yeah. No. we got to get you a UHD player. I watch everything on a tube TV. I'm not kidding. I watch Blu-rays on a tube TV. I prefer it works for you. Yeah. All right. I appreciate you guys coming on. You guys did great. It was great to see you guys on the show together too. That was really cool. And I think, I think we're going to be back for the beyond. I think we might have uh, some other people too. Maybe one other person. Okay. Oh, I have something to plug. Are you still, are we still live? We're still live. Um, Catriona McCall is coming back to North America at Shockstock next year. And Shockstock is kind of, Canada's answer to Cinema Wasteland. It's going to be great to see her again. I recommend both the convention and uh, I'm sorry, I said Catriona. Start over. You can cut that. Sylvia Colatina. 
Sylvia uh. Colestina is, um, and it's, it's, she's going to be at Shockstock. Shockstock is Canada's version of Cinema Wasteland. It's a lot of fun. It's in London, Ontario. It's not really that far from um, various parts of this country. And um, highly recommend both the convention and meeting Sylvia Colatina. It's going to be a lot of fun to see her again. She's great. So, Thank you very much again, guys. Thank, Thank you. Get locked in. Read the fine print. Mommy, hurry! You may have just mortgaged your life due to the graphic nature of this film. No one under 18 will be admitted. House by the cemetery. <laughs> <laughs> 